0: i'm chris grace i'm john Cardo and it's march uh 7th today's uh St. 17th St. Patrick's day. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i guess it, <laughs> i completely completely forgot that if there's any day for us to celebrate something i think today is a good day
1: yeah let's let's all head to the streets and just <laughs> <laughs> assemble in crowds yeah, yeah, yeah let's all just stand together as a community yeah. Uh, in the most um, physical way you can imagine. No, don't do any of that. That was a, that was a joke. Don't don't do any of those things. But you probably knew that.
0: Now, technically, by CDC guidelines, we could have recorded this live in person because we yes. still let you have between zero and nine people in a room together. Yes,
1: that is correct.
0: But we chose to be uh, well. Uh, th- the problem is that the uh, recording this podcast in the same place requires us to go outside, <laughs> which is, right. That's that's the main issue.
1: Yeah, so uh, Chris and I are recording this remotely uh, from our from our own separate homes. So uh, we'll we'll give this a shot. See how, how see how this shakes out. I'm I'm thinking since I live in a suburb, I could probably still take my dog when it. I mean, it's it's raining. I don't know where. How about how uh, it is where you are? But it's raining very heavily over here. Um, oh no, it it's has completely been- dry. Oh, yeah, it's been raining for well over a week. Uh, um, it's actually just starting to clear out. I'm going to maybe try to take my dogs for a walk today while trying to maintain six feet from other people, which I think is doable. Um, that's that'll, yeah. that'll be my, my uh, activity for the day, to see if I can manage that, just kind of walk through it. Yeah, in in, in a here, suburb, it's, it's, it's very practical. easy to do that.
0: Um, here, uh, My neighborhood, uh, I mean, I guess... Los Angeles in general is not too bad because you just drive everywhere. So right, um, neither of us is having to get onto like a, a subway, New York City subway train. Right. Um, so because of that, um, obviously all of my comedy shows uh, have been canceled. But also. Um, the last time we spoke, you were going to be doing Magic Bar this week.
1: Yes. That is, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I was going to be doing Magic Bar, uh, well, in a couple of weeks, actually. Um, I was going to be hosting it next week when Siegfried Tiber was supposed to be there. And then uh, the week after that, I was going to be performing for those Monday uh, that Monday and Tuesday. Um, as you can all imagine, those dates have all been indefinitely suspended um, per common sense and direct order by Gavin Newsom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Gavin Newsom specifically said uh, he specifically spoke about Magic Shows. He
1: called Ben Schrader and said, "You got to shut it down uh, yeah. because he knows how wildly popular that is." The plan for a little while was before you know. And granted, this is ramping up. The response to this is ramping up as rapidly and exponentially as the virus itself. But uh, so things are changing. You know, every single day. But for the time for a while, it was going to be that the Ben wanted to. Uh, maybe not advertise it. Maybe not push it. Maybe not try to build the crowds. But if you could sell, you know, if if people still had tickets and they wanted to come, you you know that'd be fine. And we'd extra sanitary measures, all the stuff that everybody was doing. And then of course that all that all um fell apart, and uh, and for good reason. So it's 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 definitely for the best that that's not happening. Um, however, yeah, I would
0: say it's probably because Gavin Newsom is also working on uh mnemonica Stack and right. he probably doesn't want you to do your tricks based on that.
1: Yeah, I've said I I said during his campaign that secretly he was just trying to um, use his political connections to build magic theaters in Northern California to compete with Southern California. So this I've seen this coming for literally years. Um, This was just his big political agenda. If you
0: look at how many billionaire donors uh, that are also magicians, uh, Gavin Newsom has. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's actually zero because no magicians are billionaires. Right, and Copperfield
1: <laughs> Copperfield wasn't interested. So uh.
0: I bet Copperfield I bet Copperfield's net worth is nowhere near a billion dollars.
1: Oh, he. Um, it, 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 well, I mean, may, about two years ago, there was this big article that was announced that Dave Copperfield um, has become a billionaire.
0: No, nah, what? Yeah, I, I don't think. Believe
1: this. Uh, he owns his own island. Did you not know that? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, he has uh, his own uh, island, which was probably coming in pretty fucking handy right now. If I say so myself. <laughs> uh,
0: well, I'm looking it up, and um, is it December 19th? As of December 19th, Forbes magazine reported. That his net worth is eight hundred and seventy-five million, though some reports have ballooned up to one billion.
1: It says. Gotcha. Well, never mind. He is he is penniless as as a Dickens orphan.
0: That's amazing that he's that 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 he's a billionaire. I mean, eight seventy-five. You know, after the stock market this week, he's probably you know just a a poor six hundred millionaire at at the moment. Yeah, poor guy. um, (laughs) You know what? Good for him. I I would. I, I honestly. With my little contact with the business side of magic, it it seems just genuinely impossible to make that much money.
1: doing magic. Yeah, I, I mean, I I guess making the Statue of Liberty disappear worth something to someone. Well, I would guess. I guess
0: you know, by whatever years those came out. TV was paying a lot more money back then, so right. it, it sounds like he's been smart about saving his money and investing it.
1: And he also has like um, this, you know, however many years it's been now contract with uh with oh god, what hotel is he at? Um, the oh this is embarrassing. Oh, People are screaming into their mic, their phones right it now. It doesn't
0: matter because it's whatever hotel it is, it's shut down. Right. Um, no, I Grand, guess I'm, I I'm amazed that anyone has made. He hasn't been on TV in like in a significant way in a while. Sure. So I'm kind of impressed that um, he has built this this net worth. You know, a lot of it through live performance. I bet very few people that are primarily live performers are close to being billionaires.
1: Oh, um, absolutely.
0: Just, just get you can't uh, like have that exponential factor of popularity. You know, without actually showing up the way that like a you know a record. Uh, can go platinum or whatever right you know it's hard for it 's hard for a live show like that David Copperfield does to say be seen by you know a hundred people and then six hundred people the next day and then twelve hundred and then you know eighty thousand you know kind of go viral
1: type. absolutely i mean didn't you basically uh well now the, the now this number has changed drastically, but uh, uh, on a normal month. Didn't you – weren't you the one telling me that, like, more people – more people will watch an episode of Superstore on an average night of ratings than, yes. uh, than people will see Hamilton in an entire year?
0: Yeah, the, the, in the entire year. I think that's what it
1: is, yeah. And right. uh, uh, uh,
0: relevant to that, I just got my refund for Hamilton Los
1: Angeles. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, uh, what is their plan? Is little, uh, postpone or um, –
0: uh, They have suspended until March 31st, uh, which I believe is optimistic. Yeah, uh, 100%. I, do, I have another set of technics, Uh I'm sorry, technics? I have another set of... A technic, a technic would be seeing a show at a picnic. Um, I have another set of tickets in May, uh, which I still kind of think is optimistic. However... Oh, yeah. Um, uh, this is a crossover from my other podcast, Open Call, the Theater Podcast. Uh uh, an ideal situation has popped up, which is I believe I'm going to get a refund for Spongebob the musical without having to go see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I have tickets to go see Spongebob uh, on April 12th, and I am confident. Uh, I was, I'm talking to a friend of mine, and we are talking about Skyping or doing something, and she goes, um, well, obviously, she was like, when, when are you free? And I said, oh, I'm not busy until we have tickets to go see Spongebob on April 12th, which I'm almost positive is not happening.
0: Yeah, I, I'd be very surprised if it's happening. Um, So, in general, this lockdown is a terrible thing for uh, performing artists, I would say. I imagine lots of gigs are getting canceled left and right. Oh,
1: absolutely. Um, You know, I myself have lost, uh, I mean, quite honestly, I haven't lost that much. I've lost um, uh, between, like, some private things, um, and then, like, that Chicago Magic Lounge contract, I've lost about uh, three grand. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, you know that that's a benefit of me having the sort of safety net uh, that I have. But like, I think of a lot, a lot of performer friends that have, you know, houses and mortgage that's the payments. That's a great benefit
0: of your of your low work ethic. Yes, is it's, it's it's that when you lose work, there's not much to lose.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, but I think about people like who have you know kids and stuff. I mean, that, this you know that supposed to be a very uncertain time um, to to lose work. And then once this all once this all kind of dies down in somewhere between one to four months. Um, whatever that estimate is, Yeah, you know, I wonder how long it will take for everything to get back to normal. Uh, you know, the president the other day, uh, said that there might be a, there's a likelihood of a recession hitting, uh, in the fall because of all this, an economic recession, which will be terrible for the entertainment industry. Um, so, I also, I wonder if, uh, because globally, every industry is being hit. I wonder if I—I I, I have no idea because I'm not an uh, economist. But I wonder if everything is sort of sinking at the same rate right now. Will everything sort of kind of float back up at the same rate since everything's being hit? Uh, I doubt it. I don't. Yeah, I that, don't
0: know. I—I I think that uh, it'll. I, I was saying last night that I think it'll be very fascinating to see how our society has changed after this. Oh um, sure. In terms of. It will not go back to exactly the way it was before. Some things are going to be sort of – things are going to be distorted by this lockdown because, for example, like, grocery stores are doing great. Um, Yes. uh, All of your streaming services – Doing great. uh, Actually, well, they're they're probably doing well in terms of ratings. They're actually probably not doing great in terms of – I don't. Well, it depends. I guess if they're increasing their subscriber bases, that's great. But they're also incurring way more costs than they used to because they're probably streaming more hours, oh uh, yeah. server time and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, I would say that the primacy of a streaming service is going to be much higher than it was. And the big, like, in that area, the question would be if the movie business can recover, uh, because I think we're going to have like three months of like almost no movies. Yeah. Um, uh, I did read an interesting uh, uh, newsletter yesterday that's uh, a newsletter about Hollywood saying, you know, what – it's relatively easy for Disney this year to be like, you know, uh, we're pushing – you know, we're, we're okay. Onward isn't going to get like the box office that we thought it was. Um, I think they pushed Mulan back. But it oh, wasn't like a gigantic year in terms of Disney movie releases. But what if this same thing had happened one year ago? right uh, in the lead up to end game yeah like what would they that you know what would have happened yeah um, wow that's crazy to think about uh, so uh, so magic bar is canceled the but there is an alternative is that right <laughs> yes
1: so we have this thing planned for um what whenever wednesday march 18th is i don't want to necessarily say tomorrow i don't know when this will come out but as we're recording this tomorrow wednesday march 18th um where uh, it's going to be essentially a social distancing version of Magic Bar. So there will be a Magic Bar show that will be streamed live on Instagram through the Magic Bar LA Instagram account, uh, so you can find them at at Magic Bar LA. That will be uh, at 8 o'clock Pacific time uh, on Wednesday the 18th. And that's going to be, Ben will host it. And it'll be four of us performers. It's going to be myself, Robert Ramirez, Jonathan Levitt, and David Kovac. Two of them, most notably, currently are, are nominees for Lecture of the Year and Stage Magician of the Year, uh, Levitt and, and Kovac, respectively. And, uh, and, and we're going to do this uh, show to, to, no, to, to no audience, and um, it'll be a good time, I hope.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so give, give me the details one more time so that we all are there at the right time.
1: Yeah, so it is uh, Wednesday, March 18th, streamed live on Instagram um, through the Magic Bar LA uh, Instagram account at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
0: Cool. Yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see. uh, So what is your setup? You're going to be doing it through video?
1: yeah i think we're gonna set up a camera um i am not even sure I, i'm gonna talk to ben later today because uh, we haven't really talked about details in a few days i think we all of our heads have been in so many other places um as we've all yeah. been starting this process um so uh i i don't 100% know exactly what it's gonna be um and i think that'll be part of the the fun of you know kind of figuring it out and 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 trying to come up with inter- interesting ways to make it fun and creative ways to to make it engaging um so that'll be a good time. Well, then, and it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, the thing I'm performers. interested in is
0: how do you, how do, you uh, do magic through that medium where, uh, you know, theoretically, by the way, I think you could ask for audience interaction through, like, comments if you want.
1: Yeah, I thought about <laughs> uh, that. Depending on what our turnout is, I thought about, like, if I have somebody, let's say I have someone name a card, and you ask that, and then you get, you know, a thousand... Responses. It's like how do you fair? How do you fairly pick the one so that people don't just think that like I have a card, like I have a two of diamonds in my pocket. I just wait for someone to say two of diamonds. Yeah, uh,
0: I would say uh, I would I would try making uh, uh, first of all I don't, you could just say like okay um, uh, if you want to name a card raise your hand or like uh, put an exclamation point in the comment or something and then you say okay. Uh, you know, Razor Frisbee Eleven. You name a card, you could do it that way, or you could make a joke out of it, which is just have the card and just say like, "Okay, name a card," and they're like, "Everyone, keep naming them. Keep naming. Them. Good." You know, right? Joe Joe Mulligan. I named your card. Joe Mulligan.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Maybe. Yeah, I might do something like that. Um. So we'll 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 see. We you know, I, and I haven't talked to any of the other performers, so I have no idea. Uh, what that'll look like but it should be um it should be a good time um um yeah also ben might teach how to the, i think ben might teach how to make like a cocktail or something uh oh cool yeah so we're just gonna try to come popcorn. up with fun ways sorry popcorn i said oh oh that'd be interesting if they taught how to um yeah uh, i uh uh <laughs> have a good idea um so we, yeah, that, that'll be fun, and, and you know, I mean, it, it, at worst, it's like, what are you doing for that hour? And you got to you pay nothing for this, yeah. Uh, a show that you would normally nothing. cost a lot of money for these four performers, yeah. several of whom have many accolades and are very, very, very exceptionally talented, and then also Jonathan Levitt and, and Robert Ramirez will be there. <laughs> um.
0: Uh, you pay nothing but your time, which uh, is a resource we all have uh, an abundance of at the moment, right? Um, so, because we're all sort of sequestered, I think this is a good time for us to read some books. Yes. So I've I've read about
1: I've read about six hundred pages in the last three days. Oh Jesus! Um, so too-
0: I just want to say I did. I think I mentioned this, but I did get Secret Knowledge, Volume One by Helder. Oh,
1: cool! How, how have you been Reyes. reading that?
0: Um. I've been I've been skimming through it, but this is a good time for me to hunker down and read. I have, the big ones I have I have that one and I have the uh, interpreting magic by David Regal to sit down. and read. Oh, I I don't have either um, of
1: those. Um, and I
0: I, uh, and I will say that the secret knowledge is where I got that one. I think I showed you holding the um uh the double under the deck so the person
1: like visually sees it for. Oh longer. yeah yeah, and you said that worked yeah. pretty well. Why don't you Why don't you explain what that is to anybody that didn't uh, wasn't um, in on that conversation? So what it
0: is how can i explain this in just without even using it it's like once you have a double he does oh, i forget who he called uh i forget who it is who, who the name of the double where you you flip it over with your thumb um your thumb yeah i don't like. know the name of that to be honest with you um so uh he actually talked for just a 2nd i'll
1: look at i had the book right here uh,
0: um
1: Actually, tell us about
0: the book you're reading, and I'll I'll find this reference.
1: Oh yeah, um, so we can get into that. Because uh, I, um, well, most recently, um, yesterday I read Agatha Christie, uh, Cards on the Table, which is a Hercule Poirot mystery where uh, somebody is murdered during a game of bridge, and uh, and he has to and he has to deduce um, the uh, the murderer, uh, and and a lot of it has to do with very intricate bridge rules because what he's trying to do is, is sort of suss out what the bridge scores say about the people and their characters and motives. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I had a good time. Um I Did I, you learn bridge? Um the other day I learned a little bit of bridge, <laughs> yes. Um I was with some people uh and we were um uh I was with um a friend of the podcast, Aaron Hollander, and uh and, and her and her brother and myself wanted to learn to play bridge it was one in the morning we had nothing to do um and so uh so we found a youtube video and so it was during this i was like oh man i have i i should go back and finish that because i had gotten about halfway through it in november and then i kind of forgot what happened so i said i should go back to that book and now that with my my newfound knowledge of bridge and let me tell you it only kind of helped (laughs) um um, There's a lot so of words the, uh, that come up in the world but it's a fun book. Cards on the table, I highly recommend it. But I've also read a magic book. Um,
0: so before you get into that, uh, it's called the Stuart Gordon uh, Double Turnover. Oh, I did um, not know that name. So that is where you've got the double in your right hand, and instead of flipping it over, you flip it over in the hand vertically and using your thumb to kind of glide down. And right. Keep it together.
1: Which I use so you do quite regularly. Use I think it's line. a very good double yeah. left.
0: Um, so you do that move so the cards face up. And then in in a, in a move where you need to have them do something, like hold their palm out, um, the motivation is I need my right hand to gesture with. So you take the, the double, put it in your left hand face up under the deck at like a bit of an angle. So basically imagine you've got the deck in your left hand and then with your thumb and middle finger, you're holding the double sort of away from that deck. Um, and then you're gesturing with the right hand, like keep your palm face up or whatever. So you're kind of casually showing the face of the double for a long time uh, to them.
1: And, and the cards are face up, right? Yes, the cards like are the face up. Like the whole situation is face up.
0: There's a, like a 45 degree angle between the, the rest of the deck and the double that you're holding. So that the cards are a little bit like vertical. You're not really seeing a lot of the face of the deck part of it, but you're seeing a lot of, you hold the double almost like parallel to the ground so that they're really seeing the face of that double for a long time. And then, once you're done gesturing, you flip everything over in your left hand. And as you do with your index finger, you push the double sort of in line. I'm sorry, you, you hold it like kind of jogged out. Um, this is a great description. <laughs> Everyone's going to totally <laughs> get this wrong. But you know what? Just like in uh, uh, Erdnase or Expert the, or, or no, what's it? Royal, Royal Road, uh, the, the fact that this description is so bad means somebody will invent a new move trying to do it. Uh, right. But the the basic principle from this Helder move is that you have your eye on this the face of this double for a long time before um it's uh you know uh, aligned with the deck and then you hand out the wrong card, right? So Right, and we do have proof that it works. Yeah, it ha- because it did work with uh Eric uh sort of disproportionate
1: to the the difficulty of the move. Um, but you read uh, Morgan and West's new book. Right. So on Thursday, before the world had completely caught on fire, um, I went to the Magic Apple and I bought a copy of Parlor Tricks um, by Morgan and West. It is their new book. It is... Uh, Produced by Vanishing Inc. It is 355 pages. It's a really pretty book. Um, aesthetically, the cover is very, very nice. Um, are you familiar with, uh, I believe his name is George Luck? Oh, uh, no. I, belie- I don't think I know. Okay. He works for Vanishing Inc. Uh, I believe he, I, you know, I've only, I think I met him once. I, I believe he's a British guy that's usually at their booth uh, demoing stuff at conventions. I think he might have been the one to sell me that. Um, that uh, mint trick, uh, where you thread someone's headphones. Uh, you thread a mm. mint in your mouth onto someone's headphones. A trick that well, no one's going to be doing for about six, seven months. Um, <laughs> yeah. What about French you, kiss? <laughs> you know, well, you know what I thought about, and I and, and 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 we can even edit this out if you think it's so criminally stupid that uh, uh, <laughs> that I it mean, has if no we were, business. If we were using that.
0: As a metric to edit things out of the the podcast would not exist.
1: <laughs> right, podcast <laughs> would be three minutes every every week. But I was wondering, like, even once things get back up and running, let's say the entertainment industry, the live performance industry, comedy, theater, music, um, get pretty state go back to being fairly stable. I was wondering, I wonder if just deep down, sort of subconsciously, there's something about magic and the heavy use of, like, spectator and audience interaction on stage intimately with the performer that people are just not going to be comfortable with for a long time. Um,
0: I think that people will need to be cognizant of it as performers, and I think that there's a great opportunity to do some um, good uh, new scripts with it. So you take something that's very... Hands-on, interactive, uh, where you actually are having to like touch the person or move them around and stuff like that. I bet there's a great version of that that acknowledges that you can't do those things, and there's probably like there's probably a way to get from having to stay six feet away from people to like a a new very effective method. That uses Uh, that as the like motivation for it. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I, because you have to stay six feet away that, um, you know, that lets you do something that you couldn't have done before uh, because (laughs) it would have looked too unnatural.
1: Right now, actually, that's interesting that you say that because actually, in my head, and, and the, the 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 question I'm sort of asking, I'm I'm picturing a scenario where let's say a year from now, let's say this has completely gone away, and now we have a vaccine and everything's managed. What, however, you you know, you fantasize this playing out, and all, all performance arts goes back to itself, and the six foot thing is not really in play anymore. I wonder if, just like, I can go see, I can go to the UCB, and maybe I'm sitting near some people, sure, but I don't have to do anything. I can stay very isolated, I can be very cognizant about who's around me and what's happening, but at a magic show, let's say, I have to be, let's say now I'm out now, asked on stage, and I have to, you know, shake this person's hand, or touch their props, pick their cards, etc. And I wonder if, just, like, as people start to see magic shows again, they're just gonna be left with a sort of a feeling of discomfort and weirdness. Like, you know, in, in a way that they might not with other art forms. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I, I would say that if... Because it's just, it's just based on physical the, intimacy in many ways. I would say that if
1: you've gotten over a lot of the,
0: like, sitting next to people stuff, um, that maybe some of that won't be as intense. But also... Yeah, no, I, th- I had up last anything, night. <laughs> I'm in favor of anything that... um
1: causes magicians to like rethink how often they touch people (laughs) right oh yeah this this will be a great this could be a great thing for the for um for like really making magic less a little bit less gross (laughs)
0: um also if anything probably the performers should be more concerned with this kind of stuff than an audience member because an audience member is probably only interacting that in that way with you know one one show every four months or every 12 months or something whereas uh uh, i was gonna say a magician on a cruise ship is probably doing this a lot but then again (laughs) magicians are probably gonna have to think about even going on cruise ships uh from this point forward oh i bet
1: um so how is the book the, uh, yeah, so um, I, I took a bunch of notes on it actually, so I have a very, I can, I have a very detailed review I can give. Uh, I really love this book by so, uh Yeah, Parlor Tricks by Morgan and West. Um, you can get it through Vanishing Ink, uh, I believe. Um, it, according to Vanishing Inc., and you know, who knows if they uh, if, if they inflate these numbers, but they say it's sold out at uh, Magi Fest and I believe the session last year. Um, uh, and it doesn't surprise me. This is going to be a very popular book. Brent was saying that to me when I bought it the Magic Apple. Was, they're going to sell lots of these books, um, because it's, first off, comparatively to other Magic books of this size and quality, it's very cheap. It's only $60, um, which isn't that much, really, uh, he showed me some other book that has less routines in it, and a few of which had already been published. I won't say whose who's book it was, but it was a few, few. It was like ten routines as opposed to the twelve that are in this. Uh, half of them had already been published. Some of them required lots of props that you already just kind of need to buy, and it was like $125, and the quality was much worse. So this is a high quality mm-hmm. book. Uh, it's both physically and through the content, and uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I really, really enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I, I just. I didn't really know how to attack it, so I just decided to kind of read the the introduction, the foreword and the introduction first and see what I could get. And the foreword comes from somebody named, let's see, um, I didn't recognize him. His name is Hector Chadwick. Do you know who that is?
0: No, I, I don't
1: know that name i yeah, never heard that name before. I don't know really if he's a magician or not. He didn't talk much about himself. But he kind of talks about the experience of uh, of getting to know Morgan and West and being friends with them for a long time. And that's sort of how the forward kicks off. And the idea is, and this is, what's, and this is what the entire book sort of comes down to, is he goes, what's so incredible about them is you get them started on a topic and you will see them passionately go back and forth for an hour, really getting in the details of everything that they're talking about. Um, and, and, and given that they're both uh, science-minded people, um, uh, it, it, I think they both have science backgrounds and physics and chemi- chemistry, uh, from the university. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that they're so considered, I guess, the, you know, they, they talk about everything and they really get into the details. And so what he was saying that the reason why they're so impre- they're such impressive performers is because every moment in the show is completely considered and it's really, really well thought out. And I kind of realized that, yeah, given what I know about Morgan and West and how, uh, thought out all of their stuff is. It kind of felt like, in turn, that uh, a book that is probably equally as thought out should be just read cover to cover. Uh, I think a lot of people read magic books, myself included. You'll kind of skim through the effects that are described, and then you'll kind of go to the ones that are most interesting, and or, or you'll see the, the descriptions and a table of context or something. And you'll kind of go back and forth. Um, I can't really think of a last book of tricks uh, that has broken into such clear sections that I have just read cover to cover and a Mm -hmm. book like this i think is really um really really helps if you do that Um, Uh, i was going to say that
0: um the the vanishing the books that vanishing is specifically producing have generally been really high quality um yeah uh, i just realized another book i have uh, to delve into is pure imagination by scott robinson
1: right another Another very aesthetically pretty book this kind of is like uh kind of looks like that
0: yeah uh, they seem to really be on the book design game in a really good way. yeah um, and I, I guess you know, especially compared to like if you if you design a really great cookbook, um you've seen a lot of cookbooks, so like most like modern um you know high like prestigious cookbooks these days are very well designed right um with like really good photography and great graphic design um i wouldn't say that that's necessarily, tr- necessarily true of magic books <laughs> even, right you know like like uh the new steve 40 uh book from pictures i've seen of it is probably a great book but is not like incredibly well graphic designed
1: right the yeah the book is is basically breaking down their uh, their sort of main show that they've toured in the UK across theaters called Parlor Tricks, which is a 90 minute show uh, with an intermission. And what they're doing through this book is they just break down they teach you, there's 12 routines in that show. They break down all 12 of them very, in very, very detailed ways. And then at, um, following each of those is an essay about some major topic in that routine that they think is important for magic or some way. So uh, you know, for example, there will be one about uh, they do a, um, a, a a ring on string routine where they borrow a finger ring, gets lost, and it is uh, put inside of a paper bag, and then it is impossibly linked. On, their ring is impossibly linked onto uh, a ribbon that is put through the bag before the rings go inside. It's a very good routine, and then afterwards they talk about uh, like they use that as it was a way of getting into an essay about getting rid of card tricks um, in their show. They they talk about how they try to do as few card tricks as possible, and then they go into a thing about how to... Make something that is normally a card trick into something that is not a card trick, and it you know, so like a, like a card that trick exists the exact same way as a card trick for many people. Um, there are several prominent performers that use performer teams where a, deck, a card is signed, it goes into the deck, the deck is wrapped and put in the box and wrapped in rubber bands, and then that goes into to a box, and then you know someone comes out with a big sewing needle, like a giant stage size sewing needle for some reason, uh, with a ribbon on it, and that's put through the bag, and then it's the bag is torn off. The only thing on that ribbon is the sign card, and it's right through the uh, it's right through the ribbon. Mm-hmm. Um, so they so they talk about that, and they kind of realize like there's they, they don't want to do a bunch of card tricks for the, all the reasons we've talked about on this podcast and that, and that form that that famous Josh J. article about card tricks not being memorable. They 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 sort of you know uh, admit that they believe that's the case, and and they say. Uh, You know nothing about this. Said it had to be a card trick, uh, and we didn't want to fill ourselves more card tricks. They kind of talk about the process of turning into it something without a card, and then it's the exact same trick, and then it's a bit more memorable. And nobody else is doing it. They go, you know, if everybody Mm -hmm. is doing a uh, a triumph routine, and let's say you have the best triumph routine because it's still a triumph routine, and everybody's still kind of doing it. Because if you try to make that triumph routine into something that is not a card trick, then uh, you're doing something that no one else is really doing. And so the example they gave is the. The advice they give, I don't want to, you know, spoil too much of what's in their book. because uh, people should go out and buy it and read it, but they, they, they kind of give this exercise and they go, try to break down um, every trick that you do in your show that's a card trick and just try to explain what that trick is uh, in as simple terms as possible uh, without saying the problem. So, like, if you were to describe a triumph, don't say cards are mixed up face up into face down and then, you know, all but one card is... is, is uh, put the right way, and the 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 card you know is is their selection. They they say, try not to put it in those terms. Try to really just think you know what that trick is. And they go, a triumph would be, uh, a normal situation is put into, or normal props are put into chaos, and magically that chaos uh, resets itself or or writes itself. They go when you mm-hmm. put it in really simple terms, then there's nothing about that that forces it to be a card trick. So they go, then right. you could do it with anything. Like what if you had a jar full of you know five different color types of beads and those beads are all mixed up and then you cover them and then really quickly all of a sudden all of the beads are separated in the jar they go that's the exact right. same trick um, and, and they go and that's much more interesting and it's colorful and it's memorable and nobody else is going to be doing it and then you're the only yeah, one doing so it and why wouldn't you want for
0: example that? now you could do a trick you bring a bunch of audience members on stage right and you say this group of people is infected with uh, COVID nineteen, <laughs> and we're gonna mix them up with all the uninfected people, and then you do some magic, and then they're all rearranged, and everybody's uh, recovered from the flu. Yeah,
1: afterwards, that, and that that, like that 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 trick will have its day, I think. Uh, but that is
0: uh, <laughs> you're that, gonna that see some just... bad jokes uh, in the next, like even when we come back from it,
1: I believe. Oh. Uh, we've already seen them when when the castle when i was at the castle in the peller a few weeks ago that's when it was really ramping up uh it was in america you know people were talking about it how bad is gonna get um there were reports of people making inappropriate jokes about it um i heard a few of yeah. them um and, and and some of them were like just jokes you kind of tasteless jokes some of them were you know jokes about asian people like th- some of them were bad um yeah, I th- there's gonna
0: be a uh, you know what uh, there's a, there's a few magicians that we have seen that I think uh, you know what add it to your um, your uh, crowd work uh, you know if they're from Egypt you mention the pyramids now yeah. if they're from China it's going right into their playbook of <laughs> of what they're gonna mention when they find out right. where
1: you're from. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so the book has a lot of these essays, and each of these essays follows their trick, as they kind of use that as the vehicle to talk about something, get into the trick that's important to them. One of my favorite essays is one about, um, surprise and magic, and they talk about different kinds of surprise, and what that, um, surprise, uh, should mean, and they make a really interesting point about a trick where, um... I think it's called something about uh, i can't remember the name of it boris the spider i think it's called it's a trick where like if something happens um with playing cards on a spectator's hand the spider moves around and then the end of the routine oh, right. they turn their hand over and there's a spider on it uh yeah uh,
0: I've, I've seen a, a version of that where there's like a a
1: picture of a spider on a phone yeah there's a couple gonna, of versions
0: and then and then while you're doing that you're placing like a plastic spider like on their hand or something
1: like exactly that. yeah um so basically, uh, they they talk about certain types of surprise, and they go, "That's obviously going to get a huge reaction." The person screams, but then it doesn't really become about you or the trick. It becomes more about their fear of spiders, and it's not really about you, and that's not very interesting. <laughs> it becomes
0: more about you, like triggering a, a, <laughs> of like anxiety in them,
1: <laughs> right? Um, and so they. Uh, they, they kind of talk about, they have a trick, um, and this is these, several, the, 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 the routine I described earlier, The Ring on Ribbon, is available on YouTube as a trailer for the book, um, a full performance of it. There's another one that's called A Moment of Impossibility, which is the trick that this essay, particular essay follows, where um, it's a great trick. It's it's really interesting, and it's, it's really cool, and it's a, a signed card goes inside of a, of a box of cards. Um, the, a window is cut off of the... The box. You can see through the box and see the signed card. And that card vanishes. That deck vanishes and appears inside of a uh, a glass jar that it will not come out of. It's too big to fit throughout the the, the neck of the bottle. So mm-hmm. then the spectator can verify it's their signed card, and the spectator then given that that uh, impossible bottle with the uh, as a souvenir to take back to their seat. That's cool uh, and it's very cool, and that is also I think it's called a, the routine is called a moment of impossibility, and you can find that on YouTube as well a full performance of it and it's really cool and and, and it uh, it looks very, very interesting, so they're talking about there about their you know the, the kind of surprise they want to instill the audience with and, and the way they set up that routine, you kind of know it's going to happen, and they talk about surprised in the sense that you're surprised that they, because even though they knew it was impossible and even though they kind of knew what was going to happen, it's still surprising that it does in fact happen. Uh, they put this much more eloquently than I am now, of course. Um, yeah, they say, uh, once we uh, introduce uh, an empty jar on a deck of cards, it doesn't take a huge cognitive leap to think that one might end up inside the other the question is not what is happening but rather how is this happening the question the audience at a magic show should be asking the narrative of that trick leads to only one possible ending strengthens the magic because it gives the audience time to consider and internalize just quite how impossible it is um and there's a lot of really interesting stuff like that there you know what's funny is they give some really scathing indictments of magic that i really loved (laughs) <laughs> That's why you love this book. <laughs> that is part of it. Um, I even wrote in my notes that uh, there's an essay that starts on page 83 called "The Scripting and Development of a Trick," and I think that this what five page essay is like everything that is wrong, everything that is missing in magic um, is that nobody reads is going to read this essay uh, or, <laughs> or really internalize it. Um, and and they go into this great thing about how to script a. Thing, uh, a scripted trick, and one of the things that they really get into is 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 they basically just talk about things they're tired of hearing, and and one thing they talk about is um they they say that performers need to stop talking about other people when they perform, Um, Mm. which I think is very very interesting because they they talk about the just abundance and of scripts. Along the lines of like, you know, Houdini used to do this, and then it's just yes, a, talk, a trick yes. about Houdini. they're always like, well, but they paint to see you like why are you always veering it off to somebody else? make this why is this right. about you? Um, and they basically and they beg for no more tricks where my grandfather once showed me this
0: <laughs> that's the uh, one I wanted, I want to put into uh, I want it for my audition. I want to put a story of how my grandmother uh, grandfather taught me uh, my first magic trick and it's the lead into all. That's <laughs> yes, right. Um,
1: uh, so and they, they're yeah. all different contexts. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah, just all completely contradicting stories. Basically, just a, a, a
0: allegedly comedic version of the Joker origin story in uh, in
1: The Dark Knight. <laughs> right, where he's always talking about different backstories. Yeah. Uh, but they have a great little thing here where they say um, we would uh, also like to offer a few pitfalls to avoid when scripting your tricks. Firstly, do try to avoid making the trick about other people. That is to say we've all heard a hundred times or more the phrases, this is a trick my grandfather showed me. I once right. saw a magician do this or even Harry Houdini famously did this escape. We would, uh, we would ask why you spend a good chunk of your show talking about how good other magicians are. Your stage show is an opportunity to present yourself to the audience in a way you see fit, and to us feels like a terrible waste to make yourself a tribute act to a select group of figures cons- uh, consigned to the history books. Keep in mind that yeah. the audience aren't magicians themselves, and so they simply don't hold old conjurers in the same high regard that we might. Saying this trick was taught to me by my mentor, Paul Metcalf, is rather dull if the audience knows nothing of the person you're referring to. And there's a lot of that in this essay, and they kind of go through a couple other big pitfalls. Um, like, for instance, why should the audience care about the first trick you ever learned? Because that probably was a terrible trick. Uh, so why should they give a shit about it? A lot mm-hmm. of stuff like that. Um And oh, and the one they really reel on is they say the term "classics of magic." When a magician goes, "I'm going to perform a classic of magic," they're like the audience doesn't know what that is, and they don't care. All all they, all they're hearing when you say that is, "This trick has been around forever, and I don't have any original material to show you." Or they're hearing you say like <laughs> the reason this trick is good is because it is old, and they're like, "What? That the cups and balls isn't good because it's old. It's good because it's good, and that's why it's lasted so long." Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, they there's a lot, a lot of, of interesting. Of feel, essays like there's that. a lot
0: of um, uh, didactic feel in magic sometimes. As someone who's watching magic, what there's way? a lot of. Explain uh, that. Or pedantic, I guess, of like the there's there's often a strain of a magician kind of telling me what's good or like it's almost like the um sometimes magicians have sort of inherited this like sense of like the thing that they're talking about, like that a regular person on the street cares who Divernon is, you know. And, right. And that they are almost like oh you don't care well let me tell you about who he is <laughs> it's like all right well or or
1: just do some magic <laughs> right exactly exactly and and they and they talk about that a lot they're like they don't know who these people are and they really don't care about them um So why waste your time talking about them? Just kind of figure out what the trick is, and and that turns into a thing about how to simplify a script. Figure out the trick you want to do, figure out what that trick is really about, and then try to uh, come up with the most concise, simple way of doing that. They also talk a lot about simplicity of magic in the book, which is really, really interesting. I've seen them perform their multiplying bottle routine, and I thought, oh, this is very, very good. And then when I read the read it, it's their opening effect in the book. Uh, I realized that it's actually a much more clever routine than I gave it credit for. They've really broken down every detail of that routine, figure out exactly what they like and what they do not like about it, and how they can maximize those things or minimize the things they don't like into their routine. So, like, for example, the, the uh, multiplying bottles, it becomes uh, – they realize that if you have, they, they, they talk about anything they want to do a trick. They want to do a multiplying bottle routine or they're studying a multiplying bottle routine. They say, we watched every video we could find. We watched 200 different people performing this in a bunch of different languages, from kids in their room do, just practicing the moves on YouTube to, you know, people in Russia doing it on, in a language you don't understand. We watched every single video. And what they remarked is that every single routine they watched is exactly the same. The moves are the mm-hmm. same. The timing's the same. The joke about the hard part is making them go back is the same. Like, everything's the same. They're like, why is it always the same? And so, uh, they really broke down, and they said the reason is, and they kind of get into a sort of emperor has no clothes type situation where they go, it's the same because somebody did it in the 70s, and everybody goes, well, that was the best. I mean, there's no beating, you know, Ken Brook. He he was the best. So, then nobody tries to do anything different. Like, why would you not want to evolve off of that? Um, They make a funny analogy. They're like, you know, we can hold these people in the past in high regard and still move past what they did they're like yeah you know we can still remember the crooners of the 50s and 60s uh but i still don't want to hear beyonce sing que uh yeah you know like we can move beyond that um and like well Well, our parents might
0: like i've thought uh, with cups and balls i've often thought like you know it's very strange to me that nine like 90 percent of people that do cups and balls are doing the same routine right they're all doing divers routine yeah I think one thing that's hard is that um let's say that you were to design a new cups and balls uh routine that probably for a while it won't be as good as that one because it's new and you're working on it and um and it would be very it'll and you know how to do the divernon one, so probably right. he's gonna feel like uh, okay, I have this gig this weekend. I can either do the one I've been working on or I can just do this the standard divernon one which k- kills you know. So, right, and, 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 I- and they
1: even kind of talk about that. They don't talk about it with the cups and balls, but they do say like when you're cry- when you're trying to make a new trick. Um, they go, I think the reason people get discouraged is this, and this is sort of my thoughts. Like I, I will sometimes today try to think of a new trick or think of something that's not a card trick and isn't really all there. And I go, ah, uh, no, this, this is nothing. I don't have anything. And then I abandon it and they got to talk about that. They go, you're not going to strike gold on your first attempt doing this. Um, yeah. there you go. We, we've had a lot of tricks that we thought were okay. And then we started performing it and then it's through performing it the way any other, art, you know, comedy or joke or anything, uh, You know, they go. We in front of an audience. We figure it out. We learn more things about it, and then we adapt it over months and months and months. Um, So they're they're pretty forward about their process and how long it takes, and how that you know you shouldn't be discouraged just because your first attempt at you know creating a new cups and balls routine didn't you know surpass the Vernon routine that everybody is doing. Right. Which is uh, helpful. I think a lot of the. A, a lot of the notes they give are not done with total cynicism. They're done with some real optimism on how people can sort of improve what it is that they're doing. Um, and they're just trying to help save people from the normal traps and pitfalls that everybody seems to fall into. Um, which I really like. Um, uh, uh, so it when, sounds like, uh, the all around very positive review of this book. Yeah, no, I, I, I really love it. Uh, and one of my, my favorite things, uh, it, especially in that essay about, like, scripting, is they go, why is it that every single, you know, escapologist seems to, on the night of their show, break a world record, yet at the end of their team, once they've escaped, they make no fanfare of the fact they've just broken a world record. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, there's all this up, you know. And then they even say, like, the audience, you know, especially, you know, it's, it's interesting hearing them talk, because you get a real, uh, um, you get a real sort of look into the, the UK market of touring magicians. Uh, in a way that you kind of don't see in America because, you know, their career comes from touring the UK doing theatres, which is something that not... You know, I think a lot of magicians do that. And it's a type of career, because of all the theatres there, that really does not exist in the States to the same degree. Um, There's not nearly as many touring shows in the States as far as magic is concerned compared to what there seems to be in in the UK. Um, Because there's so many, you know... 700-seat theaters all through the UK that you can drive to uh, in a way that you can't do in America. Um, and uh, and you to really kind of look into the, this thing, and they, and they talk a lot about, like, you're, if you're on a tour, if you're performing, people have a flyer and they have the dates, so they know that on the third night of your tour when they see you perform, that this isn't, you're not breaking Houdini's record because it's the third night of the tour. You, you did it <laughs> right. the first two nights. <laughs> you know, like, they know that. So like why yeah. why aren't like even simp- like like you know off the top of their head they just go why not w- make it about trying to break your own record every night like from the previous night the previous night like that's a bit more mm-hmm. interesting and the audience doesn't know that's complete bullshit the moment you get into it right um, um so I, I, I yeah I really that's, like this
0: uh, something we had talked about with in relationship to your show when we were you were doing the uh uh the social media thing at one point we had talked right. about having a little like uh, uh scoreboard. As to like how often in the, exactly. the fringe you had done it or not done it,
1: right? Um, yeah, so uh, then they, they kind of give a lot of ideas for that. I guess the one uh, this isn't a criticism. The one thing that you should learn when no when before you buy the book is that yeah, all of the routines are very very clearly made for two people, and almost ah. none of almost none of the you know, I will probably say none of these routines, um, because of the way they're blocked and the way they're staged can immediately be done by one person. Um, they mm-hmm. just kind of can't, uh, so much of their blocking and their choreography, uh, and timing hinges on two people. One person is talking, which gives the other person freedom to just walk over and do something that needs to be done or walk off stage and grab a prop that needs to be put into your pocket at a particular time, stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, and, and they, they don't shy away from it. They, they the, In the introduction, they go, well, you know you're not a double act. But I think what you're really buying with this book is you're buying an incredibly detailed set of um, – tools on how to build a show like this, and how to make your material like this. And I think that, in that sense, it is very, very, very clear. Because you are still getting, you come away from each routine with a very, very apparent sense of exactly why the routine is what it is, uh, how that routine evolved into what it is now and what it maybe used to be, um, you know, why the moments work the way they work, why the script is what it, what it is, and all of those things are incredibly applicable to anybody. Mm-hmm. And even some of the routines can be modified, and the me- and there are a lot of interesting methods in them to be learned. That maybe you don't do that exact trick, but you know you learn how to get that card into that bottle um, with the deck, and that could have many other applications beyond the exact trick that they're doing. And I think they want that. They 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 you know they don't want you just doing their routines. They they want you taking these ideas and trying to improve upon them, like they talk about.
0: Hmm. Um. Embarrassingly I think I might already have this book in
1: uh, in luggage from Ohio. <laughs> oh funny. Well, if you uh, do, I, I, I definitely uh, it's a very easy read. It's, it doesn't take too long. I mean it is a long as 350 pages, but uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, it's, it's a real it's a pretty quick, quick quick read. I read it in about 2 days. Um, uh, very very cool. Yeah, so I uh you know what's funny is I was thinking about this too in in a broader sense and I think at the very least, with comedy, you could, I'm sure, make a comparison. But I find that some of the most interesting work in magic, or some of the things I've gravitated to the most in the last couple of years, have in many cases been by people that are kind of reeling against magic and the popular trends in magic. Like when I met Morgan and West in Scotland, I met uh, Rhys Morgan um, at the, uh, uh, the lounge that um, our, our company had, uh, the Assembly Lounge. Because uh, we he, we were both being doing shows for the same production company, um, yeah, and uh, and I was saying I was a magician, and, and then I asked him about their show, and they were saying they weren't doing a magic show; they're doing their science, their children science show called um, uh, Impossible Science um, or Unbelievable Science. Um, I, I, at any rate, uh, they uh, and he goes, "Yeah, we, you know, we're we're kind of on an anti magic kick right now," um, <laughs> and it's funny to me that uh, that. Two magicians who run Anti Magic Kick write what is currently one of my favorite magic books of the last couple of years because uh, they <laughs> tap right. so much into these trends that they really, really don't like. They really examine the problems they see with with magic and the way it exists. And I think too that I think like, well, who is somebody else whose work I really loved that kind of complained about magic a lot? And that was Derek Delgadio. In and of itself, you know, he talked a lot about after that about you know how he doesn't really like a lot of magic and the problems he sees in the magic industry. And then through that kind of creates this very interesting magic work. And I wonder, you know, it's it's interesting to me that some of my favorite works have been by people who have been kind of going against the grain on magic, but I imagine that's true with a lot of art forms. Like, I imagine a lot of good comedy is made by people that just hate what they're seeing in comedy. Like, like a Hannah Gadsby.
0: Yeah, I, I get, I, I think one thing that distinguishes magic from the other art forms is I feel like proportionally magicians talk Way more about how magic should be done than other people do, uh, but uh, it's also—I uh, feel like I'm trying to imagine. I think because, like for example, the music industry is like a much more robust. Uh, you know, music is a much more robust art form and it has so many more genres in it that if you are making country music, um, I don't know how much time you spend. Uh, you might not like hip-hop music. In fact, if you're making country music, let's be honest, you probably don't. Uh, right. But you're probably not spending tons of your time talking about how rap music is the wrong way to make music. Um, right. And I feel like there's more intra-conversations in Magic about, like, you know, the... I, I, in music, I don't see as many people necessarily... Like... um um It'd be odd for a musician to be like, I'm on an anti-music kick right now, I think. Right. Um, and uh, people certainly in stand-up do talk about how... Uh, per- definitely in comedy, people talk about um, how things should be done. However, I think it's very... I feel like in Magic, it's not even that uncommon for these types of ideas and discussions to move into like the scripts you're performing for the public. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that similar to the thing of like. Don't oh, you talk cut out for a there's, a, there's a fair amount of, uh, you know, uh, like uh, um, you know, you might have seen other people do
1: this kind of thing, but here's how I'm going to do it. Kind of feeling, right? Um, uh, yeah. So maybe that, that maybe that just, there's, there's so much more debate over it in magic. I mean, maybe that kind of forces these sort of conversations for people like Morgan or West, but, uh, but yeah, but I really like, I, I and I also, you know, it's funny is I almost had to like be aware of my own biases reading this book because I, immediately I agreed with so many things they said <laughs> that I was trying not <laughs> to let that like color, color my opinion of the book. But, uh, um, yeah, I really think this is a great book uh, that a lot of people should read and ha- acknowledge and ideas that people should have. Uh, just knowing that when you buy it, these are not routines that you can just immediately learn and put into your own act. And that is by design, I think. Right.
0: Um, so one more time before we go, give us those Magic Bar details just to hammer Yes, yeah, so
1: that is uh, Magic Bar. That is Wednesday, March 18th uh, at 8 p.m. on the Magic Bar L.A. Facebook, uh, Instagram page uh, we're, we're streaming on Instagram live um, very good yeah so that was 8pm live on Instagram uh, Pacific Standard Time so LA yeah, time um, so 11pm <laughs> for
0: people on the east coast you know what time has no meaning right now just stay up I'm, I've been staying up till like 4 in the morning cause it's like well I have no real reason to get up So right.
1: yeah uh, I've, been, I've been having some pretty late nights as well alright cool uh, so uh,
0: everyone, stay home, stay safe. Don't yeah. uh, touch people in any way. Don't uh, touch anybody. Don't yeah. go out. And uh, then there's also we'll, there's
1: really nowhere to go. So
0: yeah. And I my guess is next week will also be a coronavirus uh, self quarantine podcast as well.
1: I imagine that will be the case as well.
0: Um, so we'll see you
1: next time. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>